Let us pray. Um, Lord, we thank you um, for your goodness and provision in our lives. And we thank you, Lord, for gathering us as your people this morning uh, to hear from your word, uh, to worship together, uh, to pray together. And Lord, we thank you for promising to hear our prayers and to be in our presence um, each and every day of every moment. So we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for being with us today. Uh, it's a little smaller crowd. Some of you probably wish you were somewhere else right now, given the snow that we got. That's me. I love to be here with you all, but I don't love winter in March. So it's time for spring. But I'm glad that you're here, and thanks to those joining us online, and thank you any guests that we have today for being here. Today we're talking about something that affects all of us, and it's, it's money. So I'm sorry to those of you that don't want to hear that preached about today. The reality is the scriptures talk a lot about money. How much do they talk about money and wealth and possessions? Well, the Bible speaks of money around 800 times, and if you group that in with all of the talk about possessions and wealth, which includes money, over 2,300 times, and Jesus talks about money in roughly 15% of his teachings and uses it as a topic in 11 of his 39 parables. Now, there's a good reason for this. He knew that Andrew Potratz needed to hear it. I think that's the good reason, right? I confess to you that I have a problem in this area of my life with money. I would like to have more. Maybe you're all in the same boat. Um, and I have a lot of fears about not having enough. I have a lot of fears about running out of it. Uh, I took this uh, profile of my temperament when I went into seminary, and that was one of the things on there. Uh, could develop a fear of running out of resources or money. And I'm like, that's not me. Then I had a couple more kids and moved a few times. And you know, every time you move, you burn $10,000, right? Every time you move, you just burn $10,000 in boxes and tape and moving, you know, all that stuff. You've moved before. And so that fear became real. It became something that I've been aware of. It became something that I often feel shame about or guilt about how I have spent the money that God has entrusted to me. Uh, and so today, I come preaching to myself just as much as I'm preaching to anyone else here. The Bible talks about this a lot, and there's a good reason. It's more than just me, I know. Uh, nothing quite distracts us from God's love, God's word, and God's life for us than the pursuit of money, stuff, and power. Nothing quite distracts us, or the worry about money, stuff, and power. And the scriptures often recognize that there's this very real and clear tie between our motives or spiritual life and how we view and treat worldly money and wealth. And, and because the Bible is so extensive on this topic, today we're, we're just going to try to answer a few questions about it on a big picture. Uh, we're not going to dig super deep into everything. We hope to do that later this year, maybe in the fall, and do a little mini-series. But where we're at today, these are the questions we want to answer. How does God view money and wealth? How do we or how should we view money and wealth? We'll talk a little bit about what our culture views and what we would view. And spoiler, we kind of want to view it like God does. That's the goal of doing this conversation today. And then the third, how does our faith and our money go hand in hand? How do they relate to one another? And so that's what we're going to try to answer today. So um, there are many things we could get into, but uh, hopefully this will leave you with some questions that you want to further pursue in your own study. Um, there's a tremendous amount of great books and resources available on these topics. And like I said, we, we hope to circle back to this conversation later this year and deal more with stewardship or debt or some other things uh, that really pertain to our lives as a church. 
So biblical principles. Uh, the first thing I want to talk about is a tithe. What is a tithe? We see this in the Old Testament a lot. A tithe means tenth, literally. That's what it means. And we first see this in the Old Testament when Abraham gives a tenth of his war spoils to Melchizedek the priest in Genesis 14, 18 through 20. So this is the first example. Now we've seen offerings before this. Cain and Abel offered sacrifice offerings to the Lord back early in Genesis. So, but the, the idea of a tenth or a tithe, this is where it first appears. Here in this example, tithing is an honor to or thanks to God and what God has made possible. So Abraham is essentially saying, Lord, thank you for your favor. Thank you for uh, this abundance. I'm going to give this tenth, this tithe, back to you. Melchizedek was one of the priests. And then we see it in Numbers 18, 21 through 24. This passage talks about a tithe to support the Levites, one of the tribes of Israel, who did the temple work and had no inheritance. The Levites weren't actually supposed to own a lot of property, and therefore they didn't receive an inheritance from their parents. They were the workers for the work of God. They were supported entirely by God's people, giving to the temple, to its works, and to God's work. So tithing here is, is meant to help support those in their culture, in God's family, in the people of God, the Levites, who vocationally were not meant to own property or amass wealth because of their ongoing work and service to God. Now today, this would be akin kind of to monastic life on the extreme end. Somebody that would enter a monastery of the Catholic Church would essentially give up their worldly possessions, they would enter into the monastic life, and they would live a life completely at the mercy of God's provision in and through the church. Uh, today, this would also be akin to vocational ministry workers, vocational missionaries and mission workers, those who have said, okay, the worldly riches, the corporate ladder, this is not my thing. I am going to serve the Lord and trust that God will provide through the gifts, through the offerings, through the tithes of his people. And as many of you know, there's, there's many churches, organizations, structures, mission agencies around the world today uh, doing the work of Christ uh, that would not exist without tithes and generous gifts from God's people. So that's kind of what that gives us an example of in the Old Testament. And then we see in Deuteronomy 14, 23 through 29, it says this, Be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. Eat the tithe of your grain, new wine, olive oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. So here we see this idea of first fruits. And that means the idea that God would be honored with the first of the income or offering or increase or profit or whatever you want to say, God would be honored with the first rather than the leftovers. And that practicing this, it tells us in Deuteronomy, would teach God's people to love and trust him and revere him always. So through this practice, through this act, they would be building a spiritual discipline of faith and trust in God. So in the Old Testament, a tithe in summary... Um, in the Old Testament, God's people would offer 10% of their first fruits or income back to God to honor God, to provide for the Levites, and to give thanks for what God had given them. And they did this because, and this is a big thing, this is the heart underneath it, right? They believed that God who gave them life and created the world really actually deserved all the credit for what they had in the first place. Extensively. Like... All that they were, they believed 
that God was the giver of that life. So if they didn't have the breath of life in them, guess what? They did not have any earning potential, right? That goes for all of you too. If God had not given you the breath of life, you cannot be productive in our society. You cannot earn money. You cannot amass any sort of worldly wealth if you're not alive, right? Can we agree on that? And they, uh, they recognized this. They knew that their very life was a gift from God. They also recognized that God provided fair weather and soil and crops. God had created the world in a way to bless Abraham, Adam and Eve and their offspring, right? He had created the world in this way. So no fair weather, no good soil means no crops, no food. No creation of livestock meant no livestock to live off of or to sell or to trade or to even sacrifice as an offering for their sins. So this mentality represents a posture of thanksgiving and honor to God. Recognize that all that we are, all that we can become, and all that we have is actually a direct result of God's work and provision in our lives. This directly contradicts what our culture teaches and what our culture tells us, that you are what you are worth, or you are your income potential for a company or a corporation. You are what you can earn, or that having a lot of money equals success. That is obviously one of the main narratives of our culture today. So tithing in the Old Testament was part of the law. And as we get into the New Testament, you'll see that with Jesus, there's no moral obligation to tithe as part of the law because the law was fulfilled through Jesus Christ on the cross. But the heart behind it, the principles behind it, why they did it, and the benefit of that still very much stands beyond the Old Testament that we are to view God as a provider and that we are to honor him with all that we are and all that we have and that we are to give to God's work. Now, turning into the New Testament here, Jesus only mentions tithes twice by name. And he does so as an example of uh, someone who thinks that they are righteous and actually self-righteous. In Matthew 23, 23, Jesus calls out the Pharisees who followed the law to a T and they gave 10% of all that they had, of their income, Jesus calls them out, though, because they lack something else. They lack a sense of justice and mercy and compassion. They have a law-driven heart rather than a generous and a compassionate heart. It's as if Jesus is saying it is possible for us to follow the law and completely miss the bigger things of God. And it is possible for us to follow the law and still have hard hearts, particularly in the area of money and wealth. So Jesus is actually advocating, once again, he does this a lot, he, he wants a deeper, more full understanding of what it means to honor God with our money and wealth. He wants a deeper understanding, uh, and we'll see this in our next passage, in our gospel text today, Luke 20, 45 through 21. I'm going to read that again for you. In hearing all the people, he said to his disciples, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. So this is the wealthy class, right, that he's talking about. Then Jesus looked up and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box at the temple. He saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance. But she out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. So what is Jesus saying here? Why is Jesus pointing this out? This woman who gave all that she had shows an understanding of God that is full of trust and faith. 
These two little coins, which I doubt were highly sought out collectible coins, they were copper, they were a couple cents, they were all that she had. And she viewed all that she had to be the Lord's and for the Lord. And they, she viewed God as worthy to receive it. God was worthy to receive that offering. Whereas those giving simply out of their abundance didn't necessarily reflect that understanding. It's easy to give $10 if you have 1000 right? If I said, here's $1,000, please give $10 to charity, you'd be like, great, that's a good deal. It's hard to give $2 if you have $2, right? It's hard to have that faith and that trust. And so the question here is this, like this widow, do we view all that we have and all that we are as a blessing from God? And do we believe that God is worthy? Do we trust him to do something with it, to receive it? Or do we view certain things as coming from God and certain things as coming from our own ability to earn or create? Sure, God gives us the ability to earn and to work. I think that's a good thing. I think it's a blessing. And I think God honors our desires to provide for our families and those in our community and those that God has entrusted us to provide for, right? And we can do good things with those. We can make smart decisions with that. God has given us brains so that we can make good choices and learn from our mistakes. But at the end of the day, I think Jesus would say that even our ability to work, just like the Israelites believed, it's a gift from God. And he might say this, that if we are not holding things back from God, we are actually practicing a life of faith and trusting him who made all of these things possible in the first place. Now, I think the New Testament helps us combat a couple of myths that we hear thrown around too, um, even in the church. And these are myths maybe in culture or, or like the, the antithesis to what culture's narrative is. You know, we have this pendulum swinging back and forth between two kinds of crazy, right? Crazy way on this side and crazy way on this side, and we go back and forth. Uh, one of the myths that I've heard in the church many times in my life because of uh, Bible verses or phrases taken out of context is the myth that money is evil. Money is evil. How many of you heard people say that before in your lives? Money is evil. Yeah, most of you have. In actuality, Hebrews 13.5 tells us, keep our lives free from the, what? The love of money and be content with what we have. Likewise, 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10 tells us, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for the money, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So if we look at those two scripture passages, and there's many more to support this, money itself is not actually evil. It can be used for evil purposes, yes, it can be spent on things and ideas and broken cultural systems that actually perpetuate evil and sin. But the money itself is not evil. Now, the love of money can lead to all sorts of problems, uh, namely ruin and destruction is what we see in 1 Timothy. And here's why. Because when we view money with the same sort of affection or adoration that we view God, it actually supplants God from the throne of our lives and our hearts, and it becomes an idol. We're supposed to look to God for our security and our trust and our faith and our provision and our happiness, not to the money. And God has promised to provide all that we need. So that's one myth. Money is evil. Another myth is this. There's, a, there's no correlation between my faith and how I use money or wealth. I've heard people say this too. And I think the Bible would not preach this. I think something else is in the scriptures when we look. The Bible talks of our treasures, talks of our treasures and how what we consider a treasure is the thing that's going to demand our attention and our time and our resources and the worship of our hearts. And we, as a people, find it really easy to make our treasure things that are worldly and things 
that are here on this earth. First Timothy 6, 17 through 19 says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. According to this passage, being rich in the eyes of God and in a way that is consistent with God's heart and the teachings of the scriptures, it actually has a lot to do with our actions and our generosity. It has a lot more to do with that than it does the size of our bank account. And then Jesus, likewise, in Matthew 6, 19 through 21, is talking about treasures as well. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Rather, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So this idea that there's no correlation between my faith and how I use money or wealth, um, Jesus in the New Testament debunked that myth or lie about money. How we view money and flowing from how we view money, how we use our money and prioritize things in our resources and in our wealth, will actually help us to define what our treasure is. And in a culture that values money and freedom and financial security, the reality is that oftentimes, if we're honest, our treasures are not always laid up in heaven, are they? Again, this doesn't mean that the money is evil, or that work is evil, or that productivity is evil. Rather, it's how we view all of those things that God has given us the ability to engage with, or that God has blessed us with, It's how we view those things that make it a blessing or a curse. Now, there's a few principles of a biblical worldview of money. Last week, we talked about worldviews again, and we've talked about that a couple times. A biblical worldview is one where we look at the scripture and the authority in it, and we try to build our lives and our morality and everything based on that, right? So a biblical worldview of money, a few principles I want to cover that I think gives some good summary to what's in the scriptures, but again, isn't going to go super deep in this sermon today. First is this, a biblical view of money recognizes where all of it comes from and what really matters. Where all of it comes from and what really matters. Speaking to that last phrase, what really matters, Jesus in Luke 14, says this, any one of you that does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. That's pretty intense teaching, right? And then you think back to those monastic lives, right? When somebody would literally give away and renounce all that they have to enter into the work and the service of God. Now, that renouncing, that's a posture of the heart, I believe. That's a mentality. That's a humility, recognizing that God is the provider of everything, and God alone is to be worshiped. Following Jesus is an act of complete submission to God, and allowing God to have authority over all that we have and all that we are. That's what following Jesus is. That's what being a disciple of Jesus is. Because when we follow Jesus, our treasure is heavenly, Our treasure is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it doesn't mean we can't have money. It doesn't mean that the money doesn't do good things, but it means that the money doesn't own us. Because when we supplant God and we put money on the throne, we don't actually own the money anymore. It owns us. We idolize it. And so this is what matters. We renounce the love of money. The scriptures treat money as something to be used as a blessing for God's work to care for those whom God has called us to care for, Again, our families, the ministry of the gospel, to care for the poor, the widows, and the needy amongst us, so that they may experience the love of God in a tangible way. 
And for many that are far from God, if, if somebody in their life, if, if a follower of Jesus were to step up and sacrificially give for their benefit, they will be experiencing the love of Christ in a tangible way. And one of the main imperatives of the New Testament in Jesus' teachings is that we take care of the poor, the widows, and the needy amongst us. That's one of the main callings that we are to use our resources for. So that's one principle. Next one is this. It has been and it always will be easy to worship and idolize money and stuff. But that's not God's will for us. That's idolatry and sin. This is not a new problem. This is not an American culture problem. This is a problem that goes back to the beginning of time when sin entered the world. Now, how we use our money and our possessions says a ton about what our faith really is. And if you feel that you have a love of money in an unhealthy way, I'm going to raise my hand on that one. That's me too. Please consider laying that at the cross of Jesus and asking him to change your heart. Repent of that, because it's not going to be helpful in the long term. May Jesus be the Lord of our lives. And then the third principle is this. The Bible assumes that the people of God give. Even though the New Testament does not mandate a tithe like the law did in the Old Testament, it certainly commands that disciples of Jesus will honor God with their money and resources. And the question in the scriptures is not, are we giving? It's rather, when we give, are we giving generously and in a way that honors God? Are we giving the first fruits? Or are we giving the leftovers? Are we willing to lay down that understanding that our culture has, that money equates power and security? Are we willing to lay that down and under, at the cross and pick up the understanding from Scripture that God wants us to invest in his gospel and to care for those around us? There's a lot more things we could say on this, obviously. Later this year, as I mentioned, we want to get into those. But today I want to leave you with a few things. I want to answer those questions, at least begin to answer those questions we started with. So how does God view money and wealth? I think God views it two different ways. As a blessing when used in faith and love of God. And as a curse when used as an idol or to perpetuate sin. Because again, it's not the money, it's how we use it. And then how do we view money and wealth? Well, hopefully the same way God does. Hopefully we can come into an understanding where our view of money and wealth will be consistent with God's view. And a biblical view here is that one that views money as a blessing and a resource to be used for God's glory rather than something to be amassed and hoarded, that's, the, that's where we want to arrive at. It's not like we can take it with us when we die anyway, right? We want our treasures to be in heaven. And so even if we have earthly treasures, may they never supplant Jesus from the throne of our hearts. And then that third question, how does our faith and our money go hand in hand? Our trust in God and our faith in God will directly influence and affect how we use and prioritize the resources that God has given us. And that goes well beyond the money. That goes to our time, that goes to our energy, that goes to our mental space and what we think about. And when we're acting in faith, we are going to be good stewards of what God has blessed us with. And I pray that we could all learn how to be good stewards and grow in that area of our lives. And I pray that myself can do that as well. So my prayer for us today is this. Let's honor God with our money. Let's honor God with our wealth. Let's continue to grow in our understanding of his will for our lives and how God is calling us to live in faith. And let's be weary of anything that leads us to take God off the throne of our hearts and put anything else in that place as money easily can do. Let us keep our lives free from the money, the love of money, and be content with what we have because God will never leave us. He will never forsake us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your truth and we thank you for the ways that it challenges us and stretches us. And Lord, I feel like some of us in this room have a great view 
biblical view of money, and some of us in this room struggle with that, like me. And so, Lord, I pray a prayer of confession, Lord. We confess uh, that we oftentimes run after the shiny objects and the glittery things, and we oftentimes um, fall into the trap of building up our treasures here rather than in heaven. So, Lord, help us to receive your grace and forgiveness for that. Help us to receive um, not only grace and forgiveness, but, Lord, would you work on us through your Holy Spirit? Would you bring our minds and our hearts into consistency, into conformity with your mind and with your heart? And, Lord, in a world um, that believes that money speaks really loudly, uh, may God's people, in their view of money and their use of the resources you've blessed us with, also speak really loudly on what it means to experience grace, faith, compassion, and the love of thy neighbor. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.